tapas, cava, and Catalonian cheese. This week, we're back in Barcelona, Spain. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we travel to a different city and try the dishes and drinks that make it special. And this time, it's more of Barcelona. My guest is foodie tour guide Paula Morenza, writer and tour guide for Culinary Backstreets. Paula is an expert on the cuisine of Barcelona and the region of Catalonia. And last week, we talked about some of our favorite Barcelona neighborhoods, bodegas, and vermouth. But that really doesn't even scratch the surface of this great foodie city. So this week, Paula and I talk about all the different kinds of tapas in Barcelona, like artichoke omelets and bombas. Plus, Paula tells us about some of the best local dishes, including one that is fermented with alcohol. We also have crema catalonia and the best chocolate-covered almonds for dessert. We really cover a lot of ground in this episode, and I'm starving, so let's get to Paula Morenza of Culinary Backstreets and Eat in Barcelona. Destination Eat Drink. Paula, let's talk about tapas, because I think when folks think about Spanish food, one of the first things they think about is tapas. And in different areas of Spain, there are different tapas dishes that you'll get. What is it like in uh, Catalonia? What is it like in Barcelona? What kind of tapas can we expect to get there? Yeah, well, is that no tapas is um, originally is an Andalusian, or they have an Andalusian origin, but especially during during the 20th century, they were like expanding to to all Spain, and uh, initially as a very urban thing, no, in bars and. Uh, normally to give company to these drinks that people was having in bars. And especially in these bodegas, for instance, these bodegas very often, they didn't have a kitchen. So they were serving basically the wine and a little something that could be preserved very easily and then that you can cut and serve in a dish, no? like a chorizo or a, a cheese, something like that. No, You cut it, you serve it, you are not cooking, you don't have a kitchen, everything is perfect, the wine and drink. And the ring of tapas... It was exactly that. Uh, it's unclear, but looks like it's connected with the excess of alcohol consumption in the, in the medieval taverns and in the old school taverns of oh, Andalusia. Okay. People was drinking too much, especially transported, uh, drivers uh, of carruages that were transporting mercancy. They were drinking too much, too much drinking, uh, empty stomach. So looks like there are documents that talk about laws to make the taverns start to offer also food, not only drinking, to these drivers in order to protect the mercancy. Because what happens is that these drivers, they were having too much drinking, they were not able later to drive properly their carruages, and the mercancy was lost. So in order to keep the mercancy safe, they started to promote this law to ask or force the taverns to have little pieces, little amounts of food to offer to the clients. So these clients, they got too drunk 
when they went to the to the taverns. Looks like this is a probably origin of the of the tapas. Nowadays, as you said, we have um, all kind of tapas in in all Spain. In other countries too, in Portugal, they also have their petiscos. Uh, it's a way of it, and in other in other countries of the world, I mean, this, this way of eating little amounts of food together with a drink, I think, is something uh, that you are going to find in a lot of cultures, even in uh, Mexico, in in Japan, I don't know. And in the case of Spain, if you came to Barcelona, you are going to find probably tapas from more or less all around Spain, because. In every city, there are always very special local elaborations. No? In the case of Barcelona, also because Barcelona population for a long time was uh, built with people from all Spain around. A lot of Galicians came to Barcelona, a lot of Andalusians came to Barcelona to work, a lot of Castilians came to Barcelona to work. We can see all that in, in, in the tapas that we find in the bar. So it's possible to find typically Andalusian fried fishes, like uh, fried anchovies. It's typical, it's very easy to find the typical Galician octopus cooked with paprika over. This is, uh, this is from Galicia, no? Or maybe you can find the pinchos that they are traditional from the Basque country. We have all kind of pinchos also in Barcelona. And then, obviously, the more uh, Catalan, traditional Catalan elaborations, like the snails, snails a la jauna, snails a la gourmanda. You can find the tallerinas, the, these Mediterranean tiny, tiny clams that they could be like cooked very, very easily, grilled with a little bit of parsley and garlic over. You can find uh, the bombas, for instance, is another tapa that it was created, um, as we know it in Barcelona, it was created in, in Barcelona. Um, another traditional Catalan tapas could be pieces of uh, butifarra or um, different kind of uh, vegetable omelettes, for instance, like the artichokes omelette. Artichoke is a um, fantastic local proximity product in, in Barcelona. We have all these like uh, alcachofas del Prat. El Prat is an area, maybe many people know it because the airport, but it, there are a lot of cultivation fields around the, this airport uh, dedicated to artichokes. And it is very typical in the bars of Barcelona to find this omelette made of artichokes. That they are pretty like uh, local, it's pretty local stuff, no? It's something that um, if you go to, to Valencia, for instance, that they have a similar. Uh, well, more or less similar culture, very close culture, you're not going to find exactly these this elaborations. No? The cot is also fantastic in Catalonia. Not many people know about that. Cot culture is huge in Catalonia. The quality of cot, especially salted cot, is fantastic. And we have amazing dishes like esqueixada that you can find also uh, as a tapa in a lot of bars. Esqueixada is a salted cod that was uh, washed and then stirred apart and served cold with uh, some fresh peppers, a little bit of onion, maybe some olives around, sometimes also fresh tomato and then dress it no, with olive oil, a little bit of salt, a little bit of vinegar and that's it. And it is a, it is a fantastic Catalan tapa.
There are I'm many curious. Others. You need to come here and taste. <laughs> yeah, we've got to try them all. But I'm curious about the uh, bombas because I've I hadn't heard of them until you started talking about them, Paula. What are bombas? Uh, specifically, bombas are uh, it's a um, it's a kind of tapa that was created in in Barcelona around the sixties. Originally in a lovely, wonderful place that uh, I love. The name is La Cova Fumada. It is in La Barceloneta. It is a place that has been there for three generations. And um, in the sixties, they started to make these uh, balls. We call it bomba, like bomb in English, and uh, they are rounded like bombs, and uh, they are made with mashed potato. Uh, inside they have a little bit of meat, and outside they have uh, quad butter uh, with breadcrumbs, like, and they are deep fried like a croquette. Mm. And they are served normally with a spicy sauce, a spicy sauce that is like the house. A spicy sauce is always different, and it is part of the secret no, of bombas, is how this spicy sauce is, is made. It started in this bar, but nowadays it's something that you are going to find in all kind everywhere, basically, in all bars and uh, the all tapas bars. So one of the great things about tapas is that you can go from bar to bar and try different specialities. Is there a place you think, Paula, in Barcelona that we should go that has a nice concentration of tapas bars, maybe a street or an area or a neighborhood where we can walk to several tapas bars and try lots of different things in one evening? Uh, for example, we mentioned before Poble Sec, this uh, neighborhood that is in, one, uh, in the site of Montjuic. In Poble Sec, there are, several, there are especially two streets that they are discontinuation of bars and bars and bars and bars and bars. So in, uh, in between Carrer Blay and Vila y Vila, you have a lot of possibilities to taste, uh, especially a lot of pinchos, I have to say, in this area. Because depending on the area you are and the bars that you visit, tapas, they can change a lot. They could be more like pinchos. If you go to a bodega, they normally are more simple tapas, things that they are not especially cooked, especially elaborated, no? that they are not, they are simple. But, uh, and also some of the best anchovies, for example, and pickles and all these tiny tapas that they go typically with the vermouth that they give, they are the 50% of the vermouth enjoyment, all these fantastic anchovies marinated in vinegar or cured in salt that they, these ones are a treasure, absolutely. These ones you can have them in a lot of bars and uh, neighborhood bodegas, even those ones that they don't have a kitchen. To, to make elaborated, more complex things. No? But we have also these uh, other kind of uh, bars with more sophisticated tapas. Sometimes they could be really like uh, very high-level cuisine and they are just tapas, no? what uh, you, can, you are eating. These small portions to share. Uh, we have uh, many different kind of tapas. They could be, because sometimes we use the word like in a very generic way, no? But at the end of the day, um, they could be pinchos. What they are normally pinchos is a small piece of bread with different ingredients over. They could be um, proper tapas, what normally are like a certain amount of the same, like chorizo, like a dish of um, a cheese or olives. This is a proper tapa, original tapa. But they could be also portions, raciones, of something, a dish more elaborated, served in a way to share. 
So now tapas is something really bigger. And for example, if in Poblesec you can have a lot of pinchos, then if you go to Gracia, there are a lot of small bars where you can have a lot of modern tapas. You mentioned cheese, Paula, and I'd like to talk about some of the distinct types of cheese that we can get when we're in Barcelona. Is the area around Catalonia, is that a big cheese-producing area? And what types of cheeses should we look for when we're in the city? Well, Catalonia is a fantastic area for cheeses. We have more than 100 cheeses. Depending on the source I look, uh, it's 150, some people, they say 200 varieties of cheese. For sure, it is, um, it is a large quantity. And uh, back in the day, the original, I mean, the old, old cheeses of Barcelona, there were a few that we still can enjoy nowadays, it's just a few of them. The famous Mato cheese, that is a fresh cheese normally served as a dessert with honey and sometimes with also some, some nuts over, uh, is one of them. Another super interesting, very old school cheese is the Tupi. To be, it is a cheese made from leftovers of other cheeses that the shepherds in the mountains, in the Pyrenees, they used to save in a basil and then ferment, ferment again, adding alcohol. They add some oh, kind cool. of liquor, like uh, orujo, you know, some kind of aguardiente, like moonshine, some kind of uh, strong alcohol, or a ratafia or something like that. Ratafia is a Catalan a traditional liquor made from green walnuts and a lot of herbs. They were mixing the cheese with that to ferment it again, and then you get a kind of cream that is strong and powerful and delicious. This is the, the tupi. And uh, another traditional one is the, the serrat cheese, that is a cured cheese aged with uh, holes, no? The typical. This is the typical shepherd cheese in the in the Pyrenees. But nowadays we have a lot of modern cheese makers in Catalonia. We need to think also that we are very close to uh, France and Italy, two great countries, uh, great areas of cheese production, and obviously we share a lot of influence uh, in the matter of cheese. And uh, in Catalonia, you are going to f- to to find cheeses of all kind: cow milk goat milk and sheep milk. Uh, maybe the sheep cheese is not so big like in Castilla, no? We have the famous manchego from Castilla in Spain. In Catalonia, yes. probably you're going to find much more cow cheese. And also what for me is super interesting is goat cheese, a lot of goat cheese. It is a delicious uh, Catalan goat cheese uh, called Garrocha. It's a cheese uh, from the 80s. When it was, um, the elaboration of this cheese, it was learned from some guys from, from Barcelona. They were learning how to do this cheese from, uh, farmers from La Garrocha area, that is, a, a comarca, no? In the center of, of Catalonia. This cheese is going to, it was going to, to be lost because these farmers, they were already very old. The tradition, it was about to get lost. So they got money from the Generalitat de Catalunya, the Catalan government, to learn from them, translate this cheese into a more modern way of elaboration, and then teach other producers in Catalonia. This is Garrocha. It is a, it is a cheese with a gray mold around that is semi-aged. It's a little bit aged during mm, a few months. And it has a delicious, uh, more rounded and a little bit more fruity um, goat cheese flavor. 
This is one of my favorites, in fact. I, I love the sound of the garrocha. I've got to get that the next time I'm in Barcelona. You mentioned that you can get cheese as a tapa, um, but I would imagine that there's probably good cheese shops in Barcelona as well. If I'm staying at an Airbnb, I want to maybe go into a cheese shop and get a couple different kinds of cheese for my apartment meals that I'll be making. Do you have a cheese shop that you like in particular, Paula? Normally, close to the markets and inside the traditional markets, there are always some great, great um, cheese shops. Uh, in what I think mostly in all the traditional markets. Maybe the reference in Barcelona, I mean, the, 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 I mean, the biggest reference for cheeses in Barcelona is Villa Viniteca with Eva Villa. Eva Villa is one of the probably best uh, cheese refiners in, in Catalonia, probably in Spain. And in Villa Viniteca, they, they don't only sell the cheese. They have an amazing number of cheeses that they refine themselves. And they also have a very close contact, direct contact with uh, Catalan elaborators to produce cheeses sometimes together or thinking together about how good uh, the another new cheese could be no so Villa Viniteca that is in Bourne neighborhood probably is the is the shop of reference for cheese lovers in in Barcelona there you can get all the catalan cheeses a lot of the best spanish cheeses i mean all the important spanish cheeses are there and uh, you you have a great offer also of international cheeses. But is that if you go to the markets, the traditional markets, is uh, you are going to find also uh, stalls and around the market shops specialized in cheeses. So we've had our tapa, uh, we've had our cheese. What about something sweet, something for dessert? What would we have as a typical Barcelonan? In uh, as far as ending our meal or as a dessert? Well, uh, the most traditional thing to have in Catalonia, if you are a sweet tooth, is uh, probably the cocas. Cocas, I mean, we, we have different things. Barcelona is also a city of chocolate with a great tradition in chocolate. But the most traditional pastry are the cocas that the different pastisseries elaborate, especially for certain holidays. No, every holiday has their specific kind of cake. A coca can have different shapes. The word coca came from cook. It has this Germanic root and could be similar to a brioche or could be made of mil like a milfoul. Uh, normally they have almonds on top, sometimes only sugar, sometimes candied fruit, sometimes cream like custard inside or whipped cream inside. There are different varieties, but uh, the pastisseries, they, they always offer these uh, special seasonal cocas when it is San Juan, like uh, St. John, you know, in June, or during, I don't know, Easter, or for San Jordi, you are going to have like a specific kind of bread too. Different holidays, they have their different cocas. There are cocas like la coca de vidra or la coca de llavaneras that you are going to find also as a dessert in different restaurants. This, for me, is the most traditional one. Then the most famous dessert is la crema catalana, the Catalan cream, that is like a creme brulee. I think that probably this is already too famous, no? This custard with the sugar that is tortured and transforming caramel on top that is uh, shared 
a little bit uh, culture with France. I mean, we have it in, in France and in Catalonia. Um, about chocolate, I want to mention, I mean, like super traditional shops or amazing chocolatiers like um, Escriba or Oriol Balaguer, for instance. And probably the most famous chocolate candy itself that is the Catania. Uh, Catania. Catanias are little chocolates that they are made, they're originally from Villafranca del Penedes, where it is also the capital of cava production in, in, in the province of Barcelona. And there it was this pastry shop where they started to make these little balls of chocolate uh, that have inside an almond. It is a Marcona almond. You know, Marcona almonds are the most delicious almonds. We produce Marcona almonds yes, in, in Catalonia. Yes, so good. That they are caramelized. Then they have like a nougat around made uh, also with a little bit of hazelnut, almond, and some secret ingredients that they don't want to reveal. <laughs> Plus another layer of like a chocolate uh, in powder. And the result is delicious. They are very easy to find in boxes uh, or uh, in bulk, no? In like traditional pastisseries, normally they have them in bulk. And nowadays also the family who makes the Catanias uh, nowadays, they are also producing different flavors with yogurt, with uh, uh, lemon varieties, no? because they are an institution already in Catalonia. This sounds like this would be the perfect thing to get a box of these, put them in my suitcase and bring them back um, as a gift for, uh, for friends and family. Uh, Paula, you are an expert in wine. Talk a little bit about the wine uh, around Barcelona, in the region of Barcelona. What are the different varietals that we should look for and uh, where are some good places to go to enjoy wine when we're in Barcelona? Well, wine in, in, in Barcelona province, uh, it, it, it has a, a very large tradition. Uh, first, I should say that in Spain, uh, well, we have a lot of uh, different regions, not only the region destination areas, Farther than the origin destination areas, we have a lot of wine from the earth. And at the end of the day, Spain is one of the countries with the larger wine production in the world, together with France and Italy. And only in Catalonia, we have 11 origin destination areas for wine production. No? Cava, in fact, the, the sparkling wine, is the most famous Catalan wine. But the origin destination is bigger than Catalonia. That's why now they want to create another specific, more specific destinations to, to narrow a little bit more the origin of Cava when it is actually a Catalan one. And um, in this direction, the center of the Cava production, it is Penedes area. So the larger wine production in, in Catalonia, it is around Penedes area. In Penedes is produced then 95%, more or less, 95% of the, all the sparkling wine in Spain. Normally, the cava that uh, that is made here, this sparkling wine, is made from three main grapes, Charello, Perelada, and Macabeu. And the whites, the white wines that they are also producing in the area normally came from the same grapes. No? That they are the ones that give the personality. Plus another ones that they are going, are that they are being recovered during the last years, like the white Grenache, La Garracha Blanca. Uh, we mentioned uh, the white granache for whites and for reds. The most traditional variety uh, is uh, no doubt also the, the, the granache, no? la garnacha. Garnacha is the main grape for red wine production in Catalonia. Normally it's combined with other varieties like cariñena or could be 
also some uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, a little bit of Merlot. Sometimes they combine it to make a coupage with other other possible varieties. A little bit of Shiraz, for example, you are going to find also a lot. But Grenache is, uh, and Carignana are the the two varieties with uh, longer roots in, in Catalonia, not only in Barcelona province with all the area of Penedès, but also another area that we should mention is Tarragona and Priorat and Monsen and also areas a little bit more inland like Terra Alta. No? So there are a lot of uh, production areas. Priorat, probably, this is in Tarragona, is in the context of the Spanish wine, is the other origin destination together with Rioja, that uh, produce qualified, uh, that is a qualified origin designation, so that they have wines with a higher constant quality. The wines from Priorat, they are made normally with uh, Garnacha and Cariñena, but the peculiarity is the earth. No, They are producing an area with a lot of slate, what creates this very poor land, uh, where the water filtrates very easily and go to the to the deep of the of the earth, and uh, that's uh, in this area you can get wines with a fantastic minerality. No, so it, they are very different from other wines because all this mineral flavor that give freshness to the wine, and it is very well balanced and combinated with all the fruit that we have from the Grenache. And normally in the wines from that area we have also uh, interesting touch from the sea, from the Mediterranean, and the forest. So a good uh, Catalan red wine normally could have all this environment around, no? the, the influence from the Mediterranean, the freshness from the minerals in the earth, and a little bit of this, of this forest, this Catalan forest that is mostly made of pines and bushes. Paula, before we let you go, um, I did want to ask you about the political situation in Catalonia, because in the United States, we see news reports in the past couple of years about a uh, separatist effort to make Catalonia an independent country from Spain. Um, We see this on the news, but I also know that, you know, Things only get on the American media when there's some sort of crisis. And I wanted to ask you as a person who lives there, as a person who's from Barcelona, what is your take on this situation, on this political situation in Catalonia? And what are some of the different viewpoints that you hear about from folks that you uh, live and work with? Mm-hmm. Well, um, yes, I'm, as a Galician, I have to say that uh, in Catalonia I have a little bit uh, kind of perspective no, of both sides. And I have friends normally that they are kind of more in between or mm, more in the side of the independence, in favor of the independence. The independence movement in Catalonia um, is not new. It's something that goes... Uh, well, goes far in the, into the 20th century and the beginning or the end of the 19th century. Uh, but already is connected with the history of Spain. I mean, Spain as a country, it was, it's, it's a mix of different cultures itself, no? Uh, we have, is that, no, we have the Basque country. I think everybody knows also that Basque country has a very strong personality too, a very strong culture. Galicia, it has a culture and a personality that's also very connected with Atlantic 
and, uh, and Portugal, no, for instance. Andalusia, Andalusia, they also have a very specific history, very connected with their uh, past and the um, Arabian influence and Moorish influence, uh, no, the, the Al-Andalus. And Catalonia is connected with the Aragon Kingdom and the Catalan countries that they were a different kingdom for a very long time in Spain. We had Castilla in one side and Aragon Kingdom in the other side, no? in the east, in the Mediterranean side. So um, Spain is a result of the mix of all these cultures. This is why when some nationalists came came up no, and in one of these areas, it's never something new. It's always something that it, it was already there. No? In the case of Catalonia, I think that uh, the wish of becoming independent from Spain gets more strong when in the central government it is a, a party that is less related with the Catalan interest, no? that is more cent centralist, that um, is a little bit more far away from the, the diversity of cultures in Spain. Now that we have a party that uh, is more open to these cues and yeah, for the first moment is more is is considering Spain as this variety, this addition of different cultures. From this moment, also the the impulse and the the wish and the intensity in Catalonia to be independent moderates a little bit. It's a little bit more moderated because the friction with Spain became a little bit less. Now we in Catalonia, they have more the opportunity to to talk about their own interests and maybe arrive to common points than when the the more the PP originally nowadays we don't know what is going to happen, but with a party that is less uh, sympath sympathize less with the independence of Catalonia, normally they are more close to talk. No, so the the, ex the extreme wish of the nationalists becomes more intense in Catalonia because the difference with the central government is bigger. Even with that, this is going to... Nowadays, it's a little bit more calm than three years ago. Also, with the pandemic, everything changed. No? All the, um, the immediate interest changed. But it's, the, the strength is less, but it's still there. Is you know is that it's a wish that is connected with an identity that goes very far in time. For a really long time, Catalans they felt different from Castilians, and they were making agreements, they were working together, they were making a lot of things together. But sometimes arrive a moment where the frictions and the conflicts came up, and they preferred to work alone, or some of them because it's. It's always around the 50-50. Well, this is a very interesting topic that I'm sure we could dedicate several hours to, but I appreciate you giving your viewpoint, which is so um, wide and encompassing of uh, allowing that there are viewpoints on both sides. So thanks for that, Paula. And thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink. You've whet my appetite for Barcelona Got to get back there soon to uh, enjoy the food and the drink and all the wonderful people who live in Barcelona. Well, thank you. We're looking forward to have you here around and, uh, and everybody, of course. No? Now that looks like it's going to be easier, finally, for everybody to travel. Okay, there you go. 
you know, that that's a perfect example of why I love talking to people from all over the world. Paula gives so much context and nuance to the Catalan independence movement that we don't see here in the U.S. There's links in the show notes for Paula's food tours of Barcelona with Culinary Backstreets, along with links to the places she talked about. Get that at radiomisfits.com slash ded137. You know, I can't believe it's been 15 years since I've been in Barcelona. To give you an idea how long it's been, when I was in Barcelona in 2006, there was a situation that I found myself in where I had to find a payphone. Payphones. <laughs> Seems like a relic from a completely different age. Anyway, that's it for this week. Don't miss the show. Next week, we will be in Turin, Italy, one of my favorite foodie cities in all of Italy, in all of the world, really. And it's completely undiscovered and underrated. Until then, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I just posted a story about Rome and their public drinking fountains, the Nizone. That's at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Or go to RadioMisfits.com slash DED137. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Tapas Chef Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. 